One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana The host asked me if I had a nickname Said my friends call me the Dirtbag King She said on the air I started giggling Hasn't had me back but now I've got this podcast Welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. This is your host, Charles Ellsworth, and am I happy to have you here this week, Dirtbags. It's a great episode that we got. We've got Kit Regan on the podcast. Kit's a tour manager by trade, and it's really cool to have someone from that perspective or that experience that lived experience here on the podcast because normally we have artists or different things like that on the podcast and it's really cool to have someone like kit who's got a lot of experience working with bands you probably heard of some that you maybe have not but a lot of experience being on the road in a lot of different capacities and kind of a big picture view of what a tour manager does it was a short episode i kind of had some technical difficulties and so it cut into the time that kit had available to the interview and so i'm sorry about that sorry it's a short episode but we kind of get right into it and just kind of jump right into talking about his life and, and how he got into tour managing. And I know it's a short episode, but I'm hoping that we can get him back on the podcast and I'll have some more specific questions about being a tour manager that we can dive deeper and deeper into. I think it'd be a really cool follow-up episode for us to dig into more and more of what it is to be a tour manager, the different roles for bands on tour or for management those sorts of things. It's something I'd love to dive into more and more. I've got a lot of friends that work with a lot of bands in a lot of different capacities. And so eventually I'd like to branch out more and talk more about being on the road than just being the artist or being the the front-facing human being on the road. But like I said, it's a short episode. We're going to get to it really quick. and I'm excited for y'all to hear it. Kit was really good, really fun to talk to, and I think y'all are going to enjoy it. And it's going to be over before you know it. So not too much time spent with me just talking about myself. We'll really sh- get to the point. Short and to the, short and to the sweet. <laughs> short and to the point. To the point and sweet. Short and sweet. Sweet and short. Um, man, I'm struggling. Anyways, my brain's a little bit fried. I've been working a lot, doing some really cool jobs, and uh, it's it's fun. I, I'm, I'm excited to be kind of back at work. It's kind of taken over my entire life. I don't know if you've noticed, I haven't been posting on the internet a whole lot lately. I was late on posting about last week's episode on my Instagram, and, and it's just kind of been a mess because I've been working so, so much. But I'm just trying to get caught back up after a slow month in August where there wasn't a whole lot going on. And so kind of trying to catch up and then also get a nice little nest egg together so I can start working on some projects that I have in the pipeline that are going to require a little bit of a budget and a little bit of time from me stepping back from working so I can focus on making those uh, records. And uh, yeah, that's right, plural, records. And uh, you heard it here, so now I have to do it. (laughs) Um, No, but seriously... I've just been kind of putting my head down, working as much as I can on other people's stuff, things that pay me actual money, um, and just trying to get a little nest egg together so I can work on a lot of projects this winter and just feel good about where I'm at financially. And speaking of where I'm at financially, uh, if you'd like to support the show, if you like the show and you want to help us keep creating episodes, if you like my music and you want to help me keep creating music and those you know records that I mentioned before, A great way to do that is to go to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth. That's C-H-A-R-L-E-S-E-L-L-S-W-O-R-T-H. And sign up to kick us a few bucks every month. Whatever you're not going to miss, three, five, ten bucks, twenty bucks even. I don't know. If you're feeling it, if you're feeling it, you know, holidays are coming up and you're like, you know what? I kind of want to make sure 
that Chuck is taking care of this next year. You can even buy an annual membership, which I believe are sold at a discount. Um, if you get on there and it's not, shoot me a message and we'll figure out how to make that happen for you. But kind of going to be digging into Patreon even more this next year, kind of restructuring how we do all of those things and making sure we have more regular bonus content for those of you that throw us a few bucks each month. If you haven't figured out by now, Patreon's a sort of platform where you can decide to support an artist or a, or a project that you think is important and that you think needs your financial investment. So you go to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth, C-H-A-R-L-E-S-E-L-L-S-W-O-R-T-H and sign up to kick us a few bucks every month. Uh, dig deeper into Patreon, find some artists that you love, some artists that you've never heard of and you think are doing cool things and then just throw them a few bucks every month. Art, independent art especially, is what helps make the world go round. It's what helps life be worth living or livable or helps us get through the hardest times in our lives. And I'm not just saying this so you go out and give me money, but I, I'm saying this because it's really hard times. And if you've got a little extra, artists could really use the help right now. All sorts of artists, whatever art you dig or whatever people you dig that create art, just be sure to, you know, throw some money their way if you can make that happen. If you're not in a position to spend money and uh, to support the show, I totally get it. Things, you know, you gotta tighten the belt sometimes and sometimes throwing a few bucks each month at an artist isn't even an option. And I totally understand that. I've been there so many times before, spent probably more of my adult life in that situation than not, so I get it. But the good news is there's some great ways you can support the podcast without having to spend any money at all. The first thing you could do is go to our Apple Podcast app. You know, if you're listening to your iPhone or listening to this podcast on your iPhone on the Apple Podcast app, go there, give us a rating and a review, and just make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. All three of those things would be huge. If I could get half of the people that listen to this episode to just leave us a review and a rating in the Apple Podcast app and make sure that they're subscribed to us, I promise you it would make a huge difference to getting the podcast out to more and more people. I'd love to be reaching a wider audience and then attracting even cooler guests. we got some really cool guests so far, and I'd love to be just attracting more and more people to the show. So please make sure you're following us, subscribing to us, and you've left us a review. That doesn't cost you anything, and it really, really helps me out. If you've already gone and left us a review and a rating in the Apple Podcast app, but you still want to help out without having to spend any money, find me on Instagram, find me on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever things you use the most on your cell phone or on your computer, and just make sure you're following me and you're so you're up to date on what's going on with me. Make sure you listen to my music if you haven't. I'm a songwriter, I'm a performer. That's kind of my first main thing if you haven't picked that up by now. And that's kind of a big part of how I put food on the table each week. And one of those things that does that is streaming royalties, whether you believe it or not. It's not a ton, but not only does it help put food on the table when you listen to the songs, it also, when we could also dig into you know, whether it's enough money and, and, you know, how expensive food is and how expensive it is to make records and blah, 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 and that Spotify pays nothing. But what I'm saying is the more you listen to my stuff on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and you interact with those things, you like the songs, you download them, add them to your playlist, you subscribe, those sorts of things follow. It helps the algorithms push my stuff out to more and more people on the platforms. It helps make it easier for me to just make sense of everything each month when it comes to dollars and cents at the end of the month or the beginning of the month or halfway through the month, you know, bills come and go at every time these days. But yeah, all those things add up and help kind of become part of how I make it all make sense. So if you aren't already, 
Make sure you're listening to my music on whatever platform you listen to music on. Make sure that you're following me on those platforms. Make sure you're following the podcast or subscribe to the podcast. And make sure you're following me on Instagram. That'd be really cool. Instagram, charles.smellsworth. Lots of exciting things in the works. Right now, like I said, I'm putting my head down, trying to make some money, working as much as I can. Luckily, the jobs I'm working have plenty of work for me to do so I can go in and out. I haven't had a day off in a while, but that's cool. I'm going to get one next week. And uh, that's why I'm kind of rushing to get this podcast out because I was sitting here playing guitar, hanging out with banjo. And next thing I know, I look up and I'm like, oh, fuck. The podcast episode is supposed to be out tomorrow, and I haven't recorded an intro, and I haven't edited anything, and uh, yeah, so that's what I'm doing right now, 10 p.m., the night before it's due, just like I did in high school. Some things, they just never change. That all being said, thanks so much for the support, thank you for listening, and thank you, Kit Regan, for coming on the show and talking to me about your life on the road. Enjoy. Kit, thanks so much for joining me today on A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. Uh, how are you doing so far today? I'm doing all right. Beautiful day out here in Rochester where I am right now. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, most of doing all right. It's, I've just been insanely busy working a couple different jobs lately. So, um, yeah. you know how it is. That that tour life sometimes, you just you you don't really get to sleep. And then when you do, it's like not enough or... Too much, or <laughs> um, yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, yeah, where, I, where'd you? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, all good. With uh, what are you gonna say? I was just gonna say, um, you know, where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Rochester, New York. I uh, I moved back here about a year ago, actually, uh, from Brooklyn. I was in Brooklyn for like fourteen years, fifteen years. Um, I was oh, one of those. Cool. I, I was kind of one of those, you know, what the heck, you know, I could buy a house up here type thing. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I kind of just, I don't know, I just, my girlfriend was sort of into it and we just kind of decided to do it and now we're here, but <laughs> I don't know. That's it, cool. You know, it's got good, good, good things and bad things, but same with the city. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I totally believe it. I have a an old roommate actually who lives in Rochester, and her and her husband absolutely love it. They don't miss New York City at all. <laughs> and um and then yeah, dude, I I like love New York City, but you know today I spent a good chunk of the day driving a box truck around Brooklyn and just like screaming at my windshield at at people <laughs> and just like why why do I live here? And then, you know, and then something cool happens or you, like, buy some mangoes off of the lady selling them on the side of the road. And they're, like, delicious. And you're like, okay, that that doesn't happen everywhere. So, I don't no, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, they both have their, you know, there's – I mean, I like – when I lived in New York, I barely drove. You know, you did when you had to. But, you know, it's like – when you don't even think about it, when you're not doing work like that, you know. But, yeah, driving around Brooklyn is no fun in the afternoon. <laughs> No, not fun. And one of the jobs I've been doing, like I said, I'm driving a box truck around for some gear for some bands. And it's like, yeah, it's a cool gig. I like working with bands, but I don't like driving a 20 foot box truck around New York City. No, it's never fun. Never fun. Um, so growing up in Rochester, what was what was your home life like? What did you 
were you into music or were you, I know you've done a lot of like tour managing and stuff like that. Like, were you always music adjacent or are you a musician yourself? What, what's, what was the, uh, yeah, I mean, growing up, I was more, I played a lot of music. I was, I played trumpet, guitar, drums, you know, sang. Is in all the bands, you know, I did the band stuff. I did like my own high school, you know, rock band for a while that sort of went into like college. Then, you know, we all sort of went our separate ways. I played a bunch mm-hmm. of drums in college and then I sort of went abroad. Uh, yeah, I didn't even really know that tour managing was a thing, you know what I mean? Until I got a little bit older. <laughs> um, you know, I went, I went, I studied abroad in London for a semester. Um, instead of going to New Hampshire or to college and I just kind of like lost I don't know I just didn't have anything to play with it I just kind of like lost living there for four or five months I just kind of like lost the the you know I don't I don't know what the desire to play I guess it was um, mm-hmm. as much and I, I came back and I just didn't even like playing drums was like my main thing when I was before I left and then I came back and I kind of just like I don't know. I just didn't even think about it. And I just stopped playing it pretty much. <laughs> like I did other things, you know what I mean? I just like, I mean, I still went to a ton of music. I still like would go see so much music, but I didn't, I never uh-huh. wanted, I never played as much. And then I sort of left college and drums just sort of never came back in my life. But I, I, I picked up more of like, you know, writing songs and playing acoustic guitar shit like that you know things like, but just more of my like own like own my own space you know it wasn't even never like i needed to get it out there my music out there or anything it was more of like it was almost like therapy for me <laughs> you know yeah definitely that was uh similar to me um in some ways like i I played in bands in high school and college, but I was always like the person that was good at like networking and like setting up shows. And then they'd put me on like bass or something like that. Cause at that age, we didn't know how important a good bass player was. And they're mm-hmm. like, Oh, you're the worst guitarist. So we'll just throw you on bass. And then, um, yeah. And then eventually I started writing my own stuff and it was really kind of came from a place of therapeutic, like just getting through shit. Like I had a band break up and that was like, kind of felt like a marriage falling apart in a way. And then before I knew it, people were like, dude, you need to share these. You need to play these for more people. And I started doing that. And I, I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. But had I not, I think I'd still be writing songs. I just wouldn't be playing them out to people. Yeah. I mean, I had the same sort of like, I just never, I've had people tell me, like I actually recorded some stuff over the pandemic, just to like, kind of like, like, well, I wrote all these songs. I might as well do it. So I like got them. Mm-hmm. I did it all my I did it all myself and stuff and put it out there and just like but I don't I never like promoted it. It was just more like okay, good. I I did recorded nine of my songs that I did, you know, and I finally did that just for the fun of it, really. But you know, but they're out there now a little bit, but I don't really cool. I don't really do it. So. Um, no, I I totally get that. Uh, if, do you want to point listeners in the direction of it if they want to give it a listen? Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's on Spotify. It's on the other thing. Just kind of, there's probably like three months of listeners. Um, but if you, uh, <laughs> um, it's Crooked Kit is the is the name of it. And then it's just Crooked uh, Crooked Kit. Oh, cool. Okay. And then uh, uh, one 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 demo album out there. I don't know, so you can't really miss it. 
Nice. Um, that's cool. And then so at, once you started writing songs and, and stuff like that after studying abroad in London, um, like how did that evolve into you being involved with tour managing? You managed, like I've kind of just recently after years and years of like DIY touring, driving around by myself with an acoustic guitar and like playing to anyone who would listen, I kind of recently started getting jobs working with more successful bands and and mm-hmm. being being more con- comfortable because they've got money and whatnot. Uh, and it's been kind of a yeah. real eye-opening experience. You're like, oh, wow, I could make a living not even playing music, but working with musicians and being on the road and doing all this stuff. It, it's been really eye-opening for me. Uh, how did you kind of get into that world? Uh, yeah, I mean, so like I moved to New York pretty much right after college, and I went, um, like, it was, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, to be happy. <laughs> I was just kind of like, I always had music, like, there, and I always, like, thought, like, that was what was going to be my, like, what I was going to strive for in New York, like, not playing music, but something in the music world, um, but I mm-hmm. just never really, like, I, I would apply for, like, record company jobs and things like that and I, I just I don't I just hated record companies to be honest with you. And I hated the whole like um I I just kinda hated the whole I mean it was just a corporate job pretty much. You know, where you apply for those jobs and you just go in, you know, it's I mean you're working for some fun things, but you know, if you're the marketing manager for Sony you're it's the same thing as being the marketing manager for Walmart except you're fucking doing instead of clothing, you know what I mean, or things like that. You know, yeah, like, totally. It's the they same, have you know, more tattoos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they, they get to go to free concerts and think they're cooler or something like that, you know, and it's like, and, and so I don't know, I just never really like, I, I, I never really worked fit for me because I just, I hate like corporate sort of interviews as well, to be honest with you. So like, I never like, like I did a couple and I just never really wanted to. And then I would like, I keep kind of network you know, with these record guys, to get in with a good record company, you got to be, you got to suck up to them a little bit if you want to be in the, you know, any sort of business with them. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I would always sort of do work for them. I worked for like a website in New York for a little while called the Wild Honey Pie, doing some events mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and so I would put on some shows. I was also doing like, at that point, I was doing like management and event managing for like a, a restaurant. Um, so I was kind okay. of like, I was in my like early mid twenties probably, and then it like I just never really had that that point of like what am I what do I really want to do in the music industry? And then I one day I was at Newport Book Festival sort of backstage um, hanging out with people. I was doing some like promotion stuff uh, for a radio company, for a radio station, um, and I met this band um, backstage. It was like 2015 maybe, so I was probably mm-hmm. 20 mid twenties or so at that point. Um, and it was LA Salami. He was like an English um, singer songwriter, sort of folky guy, but he does a lot of different stuff now. But at the time he was sort of really more folky and sort of, you know, um, but he, I really loved his stuff and I met him backstage in his band and I ended up, they were playing in New York at the Rockwood Music Hall on Monday after the festival. I am going to that, that show Right off, right off the train from the festival, 
and ended up hanging, saw them after the show, obviously, because that place was tiny, and ended up hanging out with them till like, 6 in the morning. Uh, and they were coming over to do, um, like, their first U.S. tour. And basically, uh-huh. and they were basically like, do you want to tour manage us for this? So I was just like, uh, sure. I mean, I've never done this before. I don't really know what's, you know, I'm sure I could figure it out. And I sort of just, I emailed someone I knew about tour managers and they sort they were the tour manager for I they still are um for Rainbow Kitten Surprise. And, oh cool. And uh and they um it was right when they sort of blew up as well. So she had been sort of she knew both sides of it and she kinda of just ran me through a little quick, you know, tutorial about what you know what you kinda of really need to do for tour managing. I did that and went on my first tour and it kinda of sort of developed from there. I kinda of did uh, you know, I, for the longest time, I did mostly European and United Kingdom bands because um, there was most of the work I was getting. Because there was, I was knew all the you know people, all the management and stuff from overseas. Yeah. They would come, people would come over to the U.S. and they'd call me. Um, I did a band called Pip Bomb from the Netherlands, a uh, band called Boyazuga from Wales, who are awesome. If you like psychedelic rock and roll, you should listen to them. Um, Repeat and their name one time, if you don't mind. Boy, Boy Azuga. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, and then they basically like one, uh, maybe a couple other ones, and then, you know, I worked for a band real estate for a little bit, but that was very brief. Like I did like that was more like uh, filling in for like a couple weekend things. Um, and then yeah, I mean, I basically I remember being on the first tour. And someone like some college, we stayed. It was a really low budget, you know. Mm-hmm. So we stayed. Like we didn't really stay at places all the time. Like we would just go to the. We, we never place to stay. We'd just go to the venue, play the show, and we basically sold out every. It was a really amazing tour with LA Swan, the first one. But we were in San Diego, and we get no place to stay, and the hotel rooms were crazy expensive. And we were all like, "Well, I guess we're just gonna drive, you know, a little bit, you know, to LA or something, like halfway, and find a cheap hotel room somewhere." And uh but he, L.A. on was like, he was like, anyone want to keep put us up for the night? And these college kids, <laughs> like, were like, hey, come stay with us. And I was like, oh. yeah, kind of like, all right, fuck it. And so we went over there, and it was like this college party. Probably not huge, but I mean, it was fairly decent. And I don't smoke a ton of weed when I'm on the road. I like smoking weed oh. when I'm by myself. But I, L.A., the main guy, was took a bong rip. He's like, come over and take a bong rip with me. And I'm like, hey. All right, fuck it. And I got so fucking high, <laughs> and I was sitting in the, I was sitting in the fucking um, kitchen. I was expanding like, the kitchen. There's like college girls who must have been, I don't know, twenty, hopefully, hopefully twenty one. I don't know. But like, doesn't really matter. At the sandwich, she like, and she like, she was, what do you do for them? And I was like telling them like what I do. And she's like, oh, she was really into it. I'm like, really? Like, that's what I want to do. Like, how do you get into this? You know, like, I really want to know. Like, and I, you know, and I, I was really stoned. And I, I had one word I just said to her. I just go, I just go, well, not one word, but a couple words. I just go, I just go, you know, hanging out. And that's all I said to her. And she like, <laughs> she like, didn't really know what to say and kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And, but like, to be honest with you, that is the truth. Like, that is that's yeah. how I got into that is with literally just hanging out and like, you know, you can be the, I found out that you can be the best at your job. You could be the most technical guy in the world or the best, you know, logistic guy in the world. But if you aren't fun to hang out with at all or have any sort of like 
ability to do that and you won't no one will want you on the road and no one will want to hang out with you so you'll you won't get many other jobs um but and but totally. you know, it didn't help she was looking for like some you know real sort of college educated answer you know i'm like you know like a professor would give her and and it, it didn't happen but i also find that this job you don't need you know it's not about that kind of like formal stuff like even the interviews for the tour managing are like you know, it's more about personality and, you know, if, yes, you got to know what you're doing for certain bands now and stuff like that, but, you know, it's, it's a lot more than just, you know, giving your resume and giving the best interview, that's for sure. Yeah, totally. That I was working a job this morning, finishing up some shows last night, and then we were kind of unloading gear, returning rental trucks and whatnot, and I was talking to my my buddy Tobin, who got kind of got me into the cruise side of things um, and who I need to have on the podcast one of these days. But I was like, it kind of blows my mind that like I um, like how it's pretty much like if you like work hard and you're fun to be around, um, you just start getting more calls. You know, mm-hmm. someone's like reaches out to their network being like, Oh, I like I just did a a tour with a band from the UK, Heaven Seventeen. They they were a big band in in the eighties and, and had a bunch of like industrial hits. They're kind of le- they're legends in that world. And they're their first US tour and uh um they needed a someone who could drive, you know, in the US and like not have any trouble at all. And then someone who could could just like help out, like with help the tour manager pretty much. And I, and I got that job and it ended up turning into more and more work because they suggested me to someone else. And, and pretty much at the end of it, the tour manager was like, Chuck, you're you're just, you're a real good. Hey, like, you know, well, we're definitely going to call you next time you come to town. And it's like, yeah, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you do a good job and you are willing to do more hats than one that always helps too. Like, if you're willing, even if you are just a tour manager, if you're willing to do things that, you know, aren't on your job, you know, whatever, your job profile or whatever, you know, you, you that goes a long way. And and like you said, people do say, like, that you're a good hang. I'm, I want to continue, you know, some someone's going to call someone at one point and be like, hey, do you know anyone that can do this in the U.S. or do this in the U.K. or, you know, things like that. Um, you know, for a while, and then, like, I got, I worked at Forest Hills Stadium for a little bit. Um, the, the, I was doing like ticket stuff when I wasn't touring. And another guy that was there, he's an agent who's doing like part-time work. And he literally, I was, we were working together and someone, he, one of his bands, basically the tour manager just quit abruptly. And, but this one was different. I did this from 2019 up to like the pandemic, um, basically full time. It was a blind musician, like a blind jazz musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so I did that, but it was, that was crazy work. I mean, it was really good money and it was like, it was a whole different thing. It was all fly in, fly out dates. It was like two, two weeks at max. Um, but we went all over the world. I mean, it was, but you kind of, but it's a whole different, it, you get burned out pretty quickly with that one, but, um, it was still great. I went to the Grammys with them. Um, cool. you know, then the, the pandemic hit and you know, I didn't really know what I was going to do. So I started working for that agency actually um just doing like you know basically trying to fix around all their gigs you know because all their gigs got canceled so i was just helping them out do stuff um mm-hmm. 
And then after, yeah, then I sort of got started getting calls again a little bit in 2021, 2022 to work and do stuff. So, um, you know, I think it's coming back. I just think I, you know, I'm getting more calls, but I'm also, you know, slowly getting less calls. Like I was supposed to go to Europe. Um, so I just got off a, a big tour. Have you ever heard of the band Three Days Grace? Uh-huh. Yeah, I have. Yeah, we decided was working with a band um, called Zero Nine Thirty Six. It's a little heavier stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Almost like limp, almost like limp biscuity. Um, but yeah, they their their management company called me, and we just did a huge opening United States tour opening for Three Days Grace. Um, okay, yeah, which which was awesome. I mean, we played amazing places. Um, we had a, a yeah, they're like a box. huge band. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we were supposed to play, and I got that gig um, from the gig I did earlier this year, like right before that one, was working for um, a band called Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum. Um, do you know anything about them? I don't. Have you ever seen the show Dexter? Yeah, I have. So it's Michael C. Hall's, like, side music project. Oh, wild. Yeah, so it was like, um, basically their management company, who I knew someone there called me and like sent me an email, like, hey, we need someone to do this run. It's like 11 shows and blah, blah, blah. And, and I didn't know anything about him. I looked at it and I was like, wait, a minute, that guy looks really familiar. <laughs> and, I was like, and yeah, it was, it was him. And basically he, when he was doing Bowie, he played Hedwig. He like he was the main guy. Hedwig. He played Bowie in that in on Broadway. Like the drummer. Oh was, yeah. Yeah, the drummer was uh, playing in the band, and like him and this other guy, he was like the he's sort of like he does the bass, keyboard, synth, stuff like that. Um, sort of the brains behind the musical part of it is what he played for Blondie too. Um, the, those two guys were kind of doing playing instrumental stuff, and. Uh, Michael C. Hall basically uh, was like, hey, it sounded cool. And he's like, I would love to put some lyrics and sing to it. So they just kind of created this three-piece sort of band and they would play around New York and that kind of sort of took off. I mean, the music's pretty cool and they're all like, you know, the, one, the main drummer was the original Wallflowers drummer. Um, oh, cool. And so like, they, you know, they all have like a decent stake in the, in, in the business and something like and you have Michael C. Hall behind you. Um, so, you know, we went out to sort of doing a tour and like, uh, we did a huge tour on the West coast and, you know, it was a lot of fun, but then that band, that man, state management company called me for this one and, you know, kind of flourished and like, I like working with them was awesome, but it was, you know, this one, the younger band, I sort of, you know, it's nicer sometimes to get into those ones they're just kind of starting, but they, they have a huge following. Like this guy, zero nine three six has over a million listeners, monthly listeners on Spotify. Oh wow, um, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a ton. And you know, he's had the number one Billboard hit of you know, like a certain genre or something, one rock genre, which is you know, it's not going to life changing, but it's still you know, you know, he's got potential out there for him. Uh, but he, yeah, I mean, we were. I mean, it sucks. We were supposed to go. Uh, we were literally supposed to leave for Europe and UK. I was supposed to leave in like a week and a half. Um, mm-hmm. But like month, for like a month and a half, we we're gonna open for Shine Down. 
hell of it, playing like playing arenas and stuff. Um, but Shine Down literally just decided they didn't want to do it last week. So oh, they, they just canceled the whole tour. They canceled everything except the UK. So which was most of it. Um, we had like eight days in the UK compared, or seven days in the, a week compared to like five weeks in Europe. Oh wow! So I just lost a ton of work, which sucked. But that's sort of like my biggest pet peeve about touring and working for musicians um, is that you kind of rely on other people. Uh, you know, if some people decide that they don't want to do it, you know, this doesn't even have anything to do with our band. This has to do with you know, you know. The amount of people that the four guys in that band decided, you know, they didn't want to do it two weeks before they were supposed to go, they just screwed over not only all their employees, but, you know, all the other employees for the venues and for the promoters and for, you know, every other band that was going on tour with them. But, you know, there's nothing you can do. It's out of your control. And if they don't want to do it, they don't have to do it, you know? Yeah, it's. I mean, that's another thing that I, I talk about is how, like, if you're the artist, I always get nervous about showing up to shows late and things like that. And then it's like, well, they're not going to start the show without you. You're the artist. And like, that's a good thing. But also in this other, this other way is like, it's not like you're working for someone who owns a hardware store and they don't want to go to work for two weeks and they just have their employees run the hardware store. Like you can't have, you can't have your text just be shine down for four weeks. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I mean, but I mean, it's it's such a like I don't know it's it's a it's an industry of highs, really highs and really lows. At least for me, <laughs> same. You yeah. know, like you know, like you think like you finally like all right, sick. Like you you just really want that. I mean, you really want one band. At least me, you want that one band or two bands that are gonna tour on a regular basis and just kind of that's what you're gonna do. You know, what I mean, and you. You know, once and once you've toured on a bus, it's, you never want to tour in a van ever again. I can tell you that. Um, but <laughs> probably but good that I've never toured in a bus. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Um, and it's just a whole different style. Of, you know, it's just I don't know. It's just nicer. Uh, like just waking up in the city where you are in the next place is just so much nicer. And <laughs> um, oh yeah, and, like sleeping in a hotel room with four people and waking up at eight and driving five hours or, you know, things like that. But which can be a lot of fun, but when you get a little older you start thinking, like at least me, you know, you start thinking, all right, what am I doing? Am I gonna do this? Or you but you hope know, that, you know, you know, it's like a dream or anything. You know, I what you know, you, you tell people like if I tell people I've been to the Grammys and I've toured on a bus and I've opened for these, we've done big tours like that. You know, I've been all over Europe. I've been, you know, people think like, oh, wow, you're really sort of, and I'm like, but really, if I'm not working and things are canceled, I'm not, you know, if nothing comes, keeps coming or the band doesn't want to tour anymore that you work for, you kind of back to square one. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. That's, uh, that is definitely one of the, the problems with this industry is how volatile it can be, especially for those, I mean, you know, as an artist trying to make their way up, it's highs and lows because of, you know, just trying to make things happen and getting rejected and blah, blah, blah. But then for the people who are working for the folks that are, um, that are like, have already made it, it's, it's such a cyclical thing, you know, putting out a record, you got to stop and write the record and then you're not touring. And then, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, pretty, I mean, have, pretty shaky. 
Yeah, I mean, I got tons. I have a, a friend. He's the bass. A friend who's like his best friend is the bass player for Big Thief. Oh, cool. And like, and they've like, you know, they've really made. It, you know what I mean? They've they've you know they've gotten to a point where like, you know, they can pretty much do what they want when they want, and you know they can tour three or four times a year and make a living and do really well. And, you know, like he was telling me that, you know, his friends, you know, some of the members just keep wanting to do, they do a bunch of solo, you know, pro, like solo projects and stuff. And basically this guy, his friend is the bass player, just wants to hang out and, you know, go hang out in the desert, go hiking, stuff like that before. So he's just, you know, he's, he's, he's still making a living doing it, but he's not like striving to be like the next solo act either. He's just, in, like, he's enjoying his is when he's touring he's during his time up, which I find, you know, great. And so I don't see like, you know, that, you know, hanging out who you are and what you, you know, but if you're just willing, like they're, I think both are cool. Like you can make as much music as possible, but sometimes don't get burned out and just go enjoy your time off. You're able to do that and then go back on tour when you can, you know, if you're in a big enough band, I mean, that's what you want. But. Yeah, totally. I think that, I mean, if you're the type of person that, you thrive off of being busy and doing the work and, and making things and getting the recognition for making the things and blah, 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 then by all means, just go, go nuts and work your ass off and do all the shit. But if you're someone who's like, I want to also do the other things I enjoy in life, like I like fishing and hiking and whatnot, uh, it's cool that, you know, like that he gets to just be like, well, when Big Thief isn't touring or making a record, I'm going to go enjoy my life because it's this is life right. and you only get one and you gotta you gotta enjoy it or you just don't yeah and, it, and it, either way you know whichever whichever side of the ball you're on on that one it's you know they both can have their you know plus and minuses but you know it's just it's nice to have that ability to decide which one you want to do rather than you know not have that ability because you have to be on the road 35 days you know 365 days you know whatever play on the 300 shows and sleeping in the van for 200 nights of you know, things like that, but. Totally. That's, uh, um, no, that, that's really, I mean, useful advice. And like, at least also for me is that, that you don't have to, once you've chosen one or the other, you don't have to stay in that lane forever. I think this right. fits for anyone's life is like, you can, you can decide to be someone different tomorrow or to decide of that course. your goals and what you value are different tomorrow. But it's cool to be able to like have those. I don't know to have those different yeah. choices. Yeah, I mean, like really, I mean, most tour managers, I think, would prefer you know, unless you get to a point where you're working for you know a really nice big band where you can just sort of be on a retainer or you're getting paid salary and you're just sort of touring when they're touring. You know, which is would be amazing, but like it doesn't always happen, especially with you know depending on the band, obviously. Um, but like you can get to a point where you're just like, if you just decide, maybe you've been touring, maybe you tour for, I, so many people I talk at venues are like production managers and stuff like that. They toured for years, but it just never really kind of worked out. They did some, they toured for a while, but it just never got to a point. So they become a production manager and start working at a venue, you know, which basically just, instead of dealing with, you know, 50 venues, you're dealing with 50 bands for the same venue. You know, it's the same it's literally the same thing. I think once you've sort of done any sort of agency work or management work or tour management work or 
you know what the venue side of it is as well. So you can always sort of back pocket yourself on that if you want to get off the road and stuff. But you got to find the right venues. And also you might have to start as like a, you know, just to get in your foot in the door, be a bartender or something, just to get, you know, once you know that, you start talking to people, you know, it's the same thing as like getting your foot in the door with any sort of band touring. Totally. You got to say yes to the things and the opportunities that come up to you. Be open to doing different things outside your job description. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, like, you know, I, mean, I didn't particularly want to, uh, you know, drive, you know, the Sprinter, like for Princess Coast, the Butterfly Museum, I drove the Sprinter across the country with all the gear, drove pretty much, being the front house guy, when he got there, drove most, you know, pretty much, you know, in the mornings, you know, we had a big, and then me and him drove back to Denver in like two days. I didn't particularly want to do that, but it was going to be some cool stuff. And the opportunity to work with someone of that, you know, level, like, that you can say you work for Michael C. Hall, it's not a bad thing at all. So you've got to do it. You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, and there's, there's bad sides of every job. You mentioned bartending. Like I did that for years and it's like, I don't want to do that anymore because I don't want to deal with drunk people at 3 a.m. But, uh, you know, if it was like I was working a tour gig or whatnot and they're like, hey, by the way, we need you to bartend tonight, which is fucking wild. It probably would never happen. I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm good at that. You know, right. like, I'm a, yeah, I'm a good bartender. I just don't want to fucking do it. No, yeah, no, totally. I mean, I bartended for, I did many years on and off in New York. I mean, just because I had a place that I could go and work whenever I wanted, pretty much, whenever I was not touring, so I would do it. You know, you, but in New York, yeah, it's okay. You're making four or $500, $600 a night if you work at a good place, you know. And so it's mm-hmm. worth it. But if you're if you're working at a shitty fucking bar, it could be the most miserable fucking thing in the world. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, definitely. And it, the clientele is what, that's the hard thing with that industry is it's like, you know, you could have the best staff in the world, but it's really just who walks in the door that's going to make or break the night. Oh yeah. Totally. Um, well, I know you had to get going and we've kind of gone over the time you had a lot of, this has been really cool and informative. Maybe we could uh, find the time to do another short one in a few weeks and kind of just delve a little bit deeper into it. We could do part one, part two or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, sure. That'd be fine. Be cool with that. Um, cool. This, yeah. Cause this has been really cool. I feel like I could definitely dive more into stuff. Uh, before I let you go, do you have any, um, just any advice you give to someone heading out on their very first tour as a tour manager? Um, I like I said, I mean, I basically, like I said earlier, is, is don't ever think you're, it's not your job, especially if you're the tour manager, um, and be willing to, and just be conscious of, you know, other people, you know, even if it's the staff and the, you know, but especially your crew and your band, like, like you said, like, like make sure you're not overly, you know, <laughs> just make sure you're 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 chill and, and you're you are a good hang and you know, people want to be around you because if, if you're if you're not, no one's gonna want you on the road and, and you know especially if you're you know taking things too seriously or you know or not taking things seriously enough. So I think that's that's one of the biggest like balances I found is that you gotta you gotta take things really seriously when you have to, but you also don't want to like 
you also want to be kind of like, you know, you're at a party with people every night. You know what I mean? So it's got to be a little bit of both. Um, and I do think one of the most important things to do um, is, is, you know, is don't yell at a venue unless you have to. Um, like, really, the more you are, the more you're nice to the venue and the production managers there and everyone at, at a venue, the more they're going to help you out, the more they're going to give you whatever you want, pretty much, especially if you sell out of place. Um, you know, if you sell out, just be informative, like if you're going to be late or if you have something, you know, just make sure you advance and make sure you have emails uh, because a lot of times they'll say, well, you didn't tell us this and you don't have to be mean and like yell at them. Like say, you, go, you just go, ah, yeah, I did. Like I have the email right here. And then they go, oh, uh, and then they'll give you whatever you want. You know, so it's like, just make sure you you keep your emails to it, but make sure you advance everything and just be nice to both sides. You, you know, you gotta, you gotta put your band first always, but, but you also want to maybe sort of play the venue a little bit. So they think that you're just, you know, Oh yeah, of course. Like if they have a problem with a writer thing or like a band, you know, member, you got, you can always say like, you can always sort of be on the, you know, kind of, you're not sort of, you just kind of play on both sides. You let them think that you're going to go tell the band to, that they need to do this, but then in reality, you're just kind of letting them sort of think that, and then you just sort of do it. And then the band, you know, you don't want to, your band comes first, but you got to make a good relationship before anyone else with everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. I I think we could actually probably dive deeper into a lot of different things you just said, but that, I mean, that's also really, really solid advice. The band comes first. Um, but don't yell until you have to. That's also yeah, very, very good to keep in mind. Uh, you want, dude, you want the, everyone to be happy. And the more time everyone's happy, then the better shows everyone's going to have and the better night everyone's going to have. Yeah, it's like happiness or people being like having a good night isn't uh, like a finite resource. Like everybody can be happy. Everyone can't always get exactly what they want, but you can figure out yeah. a way to make everyone happy. You don't have to yell at someone to make someone else un or you know what I mean? Make someone yeah. else happy. Uh, and if the venue starts to take percentage on merch, try to get away with it without, but if you can't, just run with it. <laughs> That's good to know. I've never had a venue try and take a percentage on merch and I'm afraid of what I would say in response to it. But also yeah, if I'm at that point I'm probably making much better money. What was that? You play DC in your size place, though, believe me, Live Nation will take every penny they can, even if you're the opener and you sold like $700 worth of merch and the other guy sold, you know, 40 grand or 100 grand. <laughs> but oh, then, you get, then you get some production managers that are super nice and uh, then say, we don't want your money and fuck Live Nation. And they're like, okay. And you're like, yes, thank you. I like you too. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's awesome. That's the production manager I would strive to be. <laughs> yeah, they're they're out there, but some of them are yeah, no. But it is they're just doing the job. But that's all. Yeah, totally. The merch stuff is you know I could go into that, but <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I'll listen back to this conversation and kind of come up with some more detailed uh, questions because I haven't had a an actual like tour manager on the podcast before. So it might be cool to do a short episode, just breaking down like some of those different things and what a tour manager does and whatnot. Yeah. Sure. 
Sweet, dude. Well, thank you so much for getting on the call. I know we kind of went past the time that you had. Um, if, I live in Rochester right now, so I can get places super quick. That's that's good. Yeah, that doesn't really happen in New York City. Uh, hey, yeah, if you're on a bicycle, then you can get things yep. places pretty quick. Uh, yeah. What If anyone wanted to find out more about you or if a band happens to be listening and they want to hit you up to tour manage them, what's the... What's the best way for people to find you on the internet if you want to share that? I don't know if you do a social media publicly or anything like that. Um, I mean, I'm I'm on Facebook. I don't really do much a lot about it. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I mean, I don't post very much unless I'm on tour. Um, but crooked under slash kit, the same as my my music, is the Instagram and Facebook is should be hit Regan. Probably Jan, but uh, you could also if you're looking to tour man. Just email me is the best way. K I T R E G A N T M at gmail.com. Amazing. Uh, thanks so much for getting on this call with me. I'm looking forward to having everyone listen to the episode. I think a lot of artists that listen to the episode will find it super informative. So thanks so much, dude. And I'll be in touch about maybe trying to do another conversation in the next couple of weeks. All right, man. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Take care, dude. One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana The host asked me if I had a nickname Said my friends called me the Dirtbag King She said on the air I started giggling Hasn't had me back but now I've got this podcast Welcome to my podcast